0: welcome everyone to doing business with a servant's heart and i'm super fired up to have my new guest on the show today because we talk about serving in business this gentleman served for us john welcome to the show
1: well thank you thank you for having me i'm excited to chat with you
0: well thank you and again thank you for service He's in the military. He's a JAG officer right now, and I want to thank you. I'm sure my audience wants to thank you for your service, as you probably hear a lot, but I do appreciate it. Let's start in the beginning. you got a crazy story, a great story. Let's start how that all began. So
1: born in Texas, grew up in a split between there and Northern Virginia. And the reason that's relevant is not just it's the very beginning of the story, is because <laughs> I ended up due to some uh, eventful family history growing up with my grandma. And it was a unique kind of upbringing that I didn't fully appreciate until much, much later, until I joined the Army, until I'd gotten out of the full-time Army and had a chance to look back at things. And the most important thing that I I took away from that, it influenced all these events that came later, even my decision to join the Army at all, was how open-ended that upbringing was. You know, my grandma was my grandma was like a grandma straight out of central casting. She was the most grandma, grandma you could you could ask for. And even though she was my parent, she was not trying to push me to take a certain job, go to a certain school, play a certain sport. She didn't even have a favorite sports team. Um, she she was generically Christian. There wasn't a, I wasn't nudging in a particular religious direction. Really, all these decisions were up to me and it was remarkable in the amount of freedom it gave me to determine these things but it also was a lack of structure and overall I, I, I she could not have done a better job and i'm deeply thankful that she was there to to step in when needed but it definitely left me with a tendency to wing it and mm-hmm. to make things up as i go along and the most dangerous thing that can happen to somebody like that is success And I didn't need structure because I was able to do a good enough job without it. But as time moved on, I began to appreciate how structure could amplify the impact I had. And I never chafed against structure. I was never a rebellious kid. I mean, it's hard to rebel against your grandma, right? Not the most, not the most authoritarian of, of upbringings. Right. So it's not as if I was, I was pushing back against structure, but I didn't seek it out either. And only later in large part through the military that I understand that being part of a larger effort, a collective effort, an, a, um, an organization doesn't have to be formal. It could be a community of people or it can be, you know, something with a, a building and a name and a paycheck. Yeah. The, the How much that can amplify the amount of good you can do and the amount you can accomplish.
0: You said two words I love is decision and freedom. You know, you fought for the country. Were you in the Iraq war? No. Were you in the Iraq war? I, I went. I did one one tour, in, Iraq tour. in Afghanistan. Okay, so you've done. You've been there, and you fought for our freedom. But decision making is so important, isn't it? And it sounds like it was important to you.
1: Absolutely, it was one of those things where uh, you. A lot of times, you may not get the feedback you need when you're. So one of the things that was important to me when I wrote a book about my experience in the army, specifically, and what I thought it could teach people who aren't in the military is I want it to be backed by science and not just my own. Because, you know, I've had my story, my life, but how much of that is anecdotal and how much that applies to me and how much of that is true on a more objective level. So when looking into decision-making, one of the things that really struck me was uh, a phenomenon called pro-social lying. What Mm. that means is people aren't honest with you because they like you, not because they hate you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. So it's the kind of lying people do to make their friends feel better. And there's a place for that. You know, if somebody makes a bad decision, maybe immediately afterwards when they're heartbroken about it, isn't the time to point out how they could have done things differently. But that time has to come eventually. And one of the good things about being in the military and one of the traits that it does an exceptionally good job of building is self-awareness because you get that honest feedback. So the decisions you make, you actually get real opinions on what those decisions were and how effective they were. And that just leads you to make better decisions in the future. And you don't get that kind of feedback unless you put yourself in a place to receive it in in a structure where it's going to come your way.
0: Experience is a big, big educator for the decision is what you're going to. And the military taught you that. Exactly. But if you put yourself around people who are more interested, we Mm -hmm. all
1: like people who are like us. So it's not as if people are out there intentionally looking for yes men and you know, preaching to the choir and everything, but it's a tendency we all have to look mm. for people who we have something in common with. But that can lead to people either not giving you that feedback because they like you and they, they're they kind of keeping it in their back pocket or because they don't know. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I wasn't doing a good job of translating my military experience to mm. the people around me. And I wanted to be more useful than I was, but I didn't have the perspective to give them feedback that was actually useful to them. I was too. I was, you know, on my own wavelength, and this was an effort to to provide better feedback to them so they could make better decisions, or at least have a different perspective. Even if they made the same decision at the end of the day, yeah. at yeah. least they could they could get the option of hearing a, a different approach.
0: What would you ask a young gentleman that is interested in going into the military? What's a few things you would tell them? Well, the first thing I would tell them is that it is a broad
1: spectrum of jobs lifestyles. Atmospheres. I mean, there could be nothing more different in the world than being, I don't know, a, on a submarine in the Navy and being a Marine Corps infantry grunt, right? And the Army itself, just within the Army, is a wide variety. I had no idea. And it, it makes sense that the stories that get told about the military get told for good reason. They're the most compelling, the most dramatic, and they speak to like a core truth about what we do and why we do it. But that's not what day to day life is necessarily like. The average soldier, and I'm, I'm speaking from an army perspective, is deployed for a, a small minority of their career, especially now that things have thankfully calmed down some versus when I was uh, in earlier and it was you were deployed half the time, but half the time was unsustainable. So it's less than half the time for the overwhelming majority of people in the military. So it doesn't look like those most dramatic stories. It's a much more day to day existence. And I would encourage people to take that into consideration that you It's a much more diverse environment than it looks like in every meaning of that word. It's going to put you in front of people and put you in places you would never encounter otherwise. And that's a very enriching, great experience, but you should probably be ready for that. Have thought about it a little bit in your head because you get some folks that are homesick. You get some folks that weren't ready for a lot of the changes that were coming their way. So for anybody who's considering it, I would say, hey, there's a lot more there than you might expect. But there's a lot more there than you might bargain for, too. So make sure you're ready for the the sheer variety of experiences that are going to come your way.
0: Sounds like a lot of opportunities, too.
1: Oh, it's almost endless opportunity. Endless opportunity. I mean, I got to live in Europe for, I was stationed there for five years. And obviously, you have deployments and training and all that sort of stuff. But I was still there in Europe for a couple of years. Where else? How else am I going to just randomly go out to Europe? And you can live overseas with government support. So if you're confused about how something works, you're not just on your own. You can there's resources you can draw on to make that experience a smoother one than it would be otherwise. When yeah. you're living in Italy and they tell you you have to buy bus tickets at the tobacco store, uh, you can, you get some help. <laughs> Things have gotten more organized in Italy's defense since I, I moved away okay. from it in 2012, so they've gotten a little more a little more organized. But <laughs> having that support is a remarkable thing. Yeah. But you got a. I was shocked to to kind of get back to making decisions. I decided after my first stretch in the army, I wanted to go to Europe, wanted to be stationed over there. I knew it was a unique opportunity. So I I thought, man, it's going to be tough to get, but let me write down my best arguments and then I'll call up the folks that make that decision and and make my best case. So I do that and I got all my arguments ready and I call and I ask, I'm like, hey, this is what I want. I want to go to airborne school and I want to go to Europe afterwards. And they go, okay, that's it. And the reason that it was so easy is people didn't want to leave home. People did not want to be away. And I get it. On some level, people don't want to be away from their comfort systems, their their support, you know, their friends, family. I understand that. But that temporary displacement doesn't have to be moving to Europe for people. It could be just, you know, going to the city going to one city away and trying something new there instead. So I don't want to say that people you don't the whole thesis of the book is you don't have to join the military to learn from it. So you don't have to go to Europe to try something new, but try to draw the lesson out of that experience. And even if you don't go 100 percent. Even implementing it on a on a micro day-to-day level can still yield a lot of benefits.
0: Let's get into the book because I, I looked at it and I, I'm really excited to hear about it. Why'd you write it and what, what was your mission with the book that, when you wrote it? The goal with the book
1: was to help other people develop as the military helped me. And what I mean by that is I get out of the full-time army after nine years and I go to law school on the GI Bill. I roll into school. I'm meeting people outside of school, just meeting civilians. And I was struck at the number of people I met who were smart, were good-natured, like good socially, good-hearted people, but were struggling. And hmm. it, I didn't understand why. I was like, yo, these are people who have all the ingredients for success. You know, either some of them had gotten all the breaks early in life. Some of them had overcome a lot of things. But either way, they were still struggling more than it seemed like they should. And it took me years to figure out why, and what it was is there's a gap that schools and jobs almost always leave behind, and how they develop people. And it's understandable because schools have a job to do, and jobs obviously have a job to do, and they're not going to reach a lot of the most important traits for success, for satisfaction, for living as low, not not a zero stress life as. Rarely possible, but for as low stress a life as is possible. And what I figured out was that the military had some unique things about how it was set up, about how it encourages training and development and introspection. And I wanted to bring those lessons to people in a way that they could find useful. And most importantly, probably is I was a total failure at doing that my first couple of years out of the army. I came in way too hot, way too sarcastic, way too blunt, Mm -hmm. way too much, and I was doing things that worked for me, but weren't working for other people. And at some point, you're not a straight shooter or truth teller. You're just selfish or at least oblivious. If you're not adjusting what you're doing so that it works for the people you want it to work for. And I realized that it wasn't working enough of the time. I can't give you a percentage. It was not a hundred. It wasn't zero. But again, that's the dangerous thing. You can always find examples or you can often find examples when the wrong approach works, at least occasionally, and convince yourself it's not the wrong approach. Like I told that joke, two people (laughs) laughed, five people looked horrified. Who who are you going to look at? Right. If somebody laughed, you'd be like, oh, everyone else just didn't get it. Now, don't get me wrong. I was not telling a bunch of offensive jokes. I was good about cursing in front of the right people and joking in front of the right people. when I got out of the military full time, but I was making a lot of other mistakes. And the book was born of an effort to get past that limit that I had in my perspective, and to be more useful to the people around me, to serve the people around me better. What's the name of the book? How to Deal with Damn Near Anything, The Paratrooper's Guide to Life.
0: Love that. That's why I want (laughs) to talk about it. It's just a great title. It just resonates with me, I'm sure with some of the audience. What are some of the lessons that the audience, when they read the book, and audience, go out and read the book. It's not very long. It looks like it was a pretty short book. Um, Anybody can read it, but what lessons are they going to get from this book when they read it? So obviously I talked about some broad, fuzzy stuff. Yeah. So my goal was to reduce
1: it to something, not just that it was backed by research, like I mentioned earlier, but that had some kind of structure, right? Like I was saying. So what I settled on was this. There's five traits that I picked out that are not uniquely developed by the military, but developed unusually well by the military. So I list out those five traits, starting with self-awareness, and I use those as a, a guide for people to get more of an understanding about this gap that I mentioned that I see in schools and workplaces and how the military can give people the tools to help fill that gap in their own lives. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I picked out five traits.
0: Now this book is like, I want to start a business. The military is a business. I mean, we all know that it's, it's a big business, probably as big as the government. What have you learned being in the military for the nine years and what you wrote in the book that could help somebody that's, listening to the show to want, want to start a business or is in business and need some help? Well, there's probably two of the five traits that I think are most
1: analogous to business. And like you mentioned, the military is very business-esque in a lot of ways. And we may not make a profit necessarily, but the, the challenges you deal with, with getting things done, logistics, people, um, how are you accountable? How do you measure things? All those things that you have to do as a business. So I think the two traits I would draw folks towards that are business-minded are efficiency, and adaptability. Mm. one of the challenges with any kind of book like this is you may end up using words people have heard before, right? It's like telling people to work out. Like everybody knows they're supposed to work out. This isn't news to anybody. So how do you write about something people have at least heard about in the background in a way that's going to actually be useful to them now? So for efficiency, took lessons from the military that showed that you want to try and push out distractions to go at the most core task in front of you. And you want to avoid trying hard for the sake of trying hard. Mm. Make sure that the effort you put forward is actually coming through and helping. One of the non-military analogies, if you try to throw a punch as hard as you can, you're probably going to end up flat on your face. So it's not always about maximum effort. It's about targeted, efficient effort in a way that's going to get your results. And not to throw shade at any of my other military people, but it is common among some folks. And I'd never planned to write a book when I got out. But some folks who have, including been very successful, they sell the intensity part of the military. Yeah. Get up at 3 a.m., do 10,000 push-ups, run through the desert until you almost die. Like that's the way to find success. And Most problems are not solvable by intensity alone. It's not about sheer quantity of effort. You're just going to be tired. It's about being strategic and being targeted and being efficient with how you put that effort forth. So that's something I think is useful for folks because you're starting a business. I have done freelance work on my own one man band, you know, not a not a corporation, but still accountable to myself, having to all the bases had to be covered by me. There's a lot. There's always more to do than you have time to do it. So the only way to, to navigate that to stay sane is to ensure that you're not wasting energy by over eagerly attacking a problem for the wrong reasons. I
0: have had a number of veterans on my show. uh, Just had Alan Clark, who's 80 year old who, uh, you know, mortar blew off his legs in 69 and talked about how he's helping other veterans. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a wonderful guy. I can't wait to talk to him again, but what would you give advice to a veteran that's coming through? We know PTSD and all the things that are happening. I want to help veterans get other, and they're listening you know, get a job or start a business any advice for them it's
1: you're learning to speak a new language it doesn't mean it's it's a language that you know some like it's like spanish like some of these words sound familiar you can kind of guess what some of them are you know you're not learning i was an arabic linguist in the army right yeah wow. very very few words <laughs> sounded the same <laughs> so it's not that kind of challenge but you're gonna have to learn to speak a new language and that's okay America loves us in a way that we are deeply, deeply fortunate to be loved. That doesn't mean they understand us. And just because you're respected doesn't mean you're understood. And that's okay. Nobody has an obligation to understand us. We have to bridge that gap. We're provided for and cared for and respected in so many ways as veterans. The last thing we should be doing is asking for more, 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 more. So you've got to find ways to bridge that gap, to explain your experience. To people in a way that they'll understand and they'll value it to forgive them when they say something a little awkward which is on un- which is not that common but it definitely happens yeah. i've had it happen to me i've had it happen to other people on that you gotta you gotta be forgiving be gracious about that kind of thing and think about all the love that we get and all the resources that we get and keep those things in mind when you are inevitably frustrated bewildered confused the hurt locker is one of the worst movies i've ever seen i hate it to my core, but there's one scene that every veteran I know appreciates and it's the scene when the guy comes back and he's just standing in the grocery store Mm -hmm. and he's just bewildered by the 5,000 kind of cereals available. I had that moment and probably everybody who's ever deployed, um, no matter what kind of job they're doing, had that moment. It's a different world and that's okay. Doesn't mean either side is doing anything wrong, but for veterans who are still working to adjust give it time, be gracious about it, try to avoid being frustrated, understand that it's a process and progress is going to be gradual. But if you keep making progress, you will get there.
0: Is this book good for veterans as well that you wrote? I think so,
1: because it's not specifically targeted at veterans, but I think it's helpful because it helped me understand what was most valuable about my experience? Because some of it translates and some of it doesn't. When I see some of these veteran books that talk about combat, not in a personal catharsis way, but in a combat as a guide to other people type of way, it really gives me pause. Because, I you know, I spent a year in Iraq, over a year in Afghanistan. Was human intelligence guy. my job is to go out and talk to people. So I saw a decent amount of those countries and what happened in them. Right. So those experiences mean everything to me and I'll carry them with me forever. They are not what I use to get through day-to-day life because nobody is trying to kill me here that I'm aware of. So it is a different experience, yeah. right? So when I see people um, use combat as a guide, I don't think that's a good guide to the veteran experience. I think it's much more important to find the, the things we do that translate the best. So that's something veterans can get out of the book is to look at it and say, hey, these are the things that I learned that I'm good at that weren't ever really explained to me in this way. We didn't mm-hmm. talk in this language because it's civilian language, but it's something I can use to both understand my experience and to tell other people what that experience means for them, whether I'm running a business or applying to go into a school or otherwise trying to, to translate between
0: those two worlds. Great way to connect them. I like that, the civilian life, or the military life. You really, if I was a veteran, I can understand the, bringing it together, connecting the dots. And that's what you're trying to do. When I say the, the serving, the activity of serving, what's that mean to you?
1: Placing the benefit of others first. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a simplistic definition, but it creates in, in this sort of one of the things that drew me your podcast to begin with, it creates this virtuous cycle. Yeah. That's what the military is all about. It's all about knowing that the people you're around will look out for you when you need it. And not just for your physical safety, though, that obviously is part yeah. of it. There were, and there have been instances, uh, what I, I try to shy away from combat stories, but I think this one's useful. It's not, not just about combat. You will not take people on patrol with you if they can't hack it. Maybe they're supposed to go, but you know what? There's always a reason to exclude them. <laughs> We've had people like, sorry, the, the truck's full. You look, there's like a bunch of seats empty in it. It's full knock, knock. You're not getting in. Sorry. The military is a place where you can usually rely on people to look out for you without having to like double check them all the time, keep your eye on all the time. When you do have people like that, usually you find a way to push them to the side, kind of keep them out of the, out of the team, even if you can't kick them out entirely. So that is what service and community means to me is that ethos of looking out for the common good, allowing people to be individuals. Still, I'm not talking about Mm -hmm. having to enforce a certain way of, looking talking living even but ensuring that when it comes down to having the opportunity to do something just for you that you 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 take pause and you think about how it's going to affect other people maybe you get to do it anyway not saying you can never look out for yourself but you always check to make sure you're keeping the group in mind
0: I like that because we say, "Hey, thanks for your service." Hey, thanks for serving. I love that tied together what you just said because you tell that guy, "Hey, the truck's full." You're trying to save lives. Yeah, because if I'm not ready, yeah. you could affect everybody else, right? Yeah,
1: it doesn't do him or her any good, right. To, right? to put them in a position, and somewhere along the line, they were failed already. They were sent to a place they weren't ready to go. And, you know, there's, you can always try to unpack that when it happened. And maybe the mistake was two weeks ago, maybe it was 10 years ago, but either way, they showed a place they're not ready. You can't compound a mistake. One of the things that the book gets into, and I think is important is sometimes you have to embrace short-term awkwardness to avoid medium and long-term disaster. And it sucks. And it is a completely understandable instinct to avoid awkwardness in the short term. But there's a conversation with a friend, business opportunity, family member. Absolutely. right? But you have to take that short-term awkwardness. You have to embrace it and recognize that it's the cost of admission to get to a place you want to be afterwards.
0: That's a great part of the book. I'm definitely going to look for that because that's so true. And everybody, audience, you're all dealing with this every day, or not every day, but we'll deal with it sometime, somewhere. Again, what's the name of the book? The book is How to Deal with Damn Near
1: Anything, The Paratrooper's Guide to Life.
0: And we're going to make it a movie. I'm going to work on the script. I'm just kidding. Partially. Because <laughs> it's it's a great story. I want to thank you for being on. Uh, audience, please reach out to him. His book will be in the show notes. You can go out and order it. Reach out to me. Reach out to John if you have questions. He breaks down the military better than anybody I know. I know a lot of veterans. And I appreciate you for doing that. It's, you've been a blessed. You've blessed me and blessed my audience today. Can you bless him one more time? And, and leave us one more. You've left so many great tips. What's one more piece of advice you can leave the audience for their journey in life?
1: Let me think. One more. Um, how about this? The little phrase that helped me out both during my military career afterwards and even when I'm writing the book is all progress is good progress. Don't compare yourself to the ideal. Don't, don't think about the day you wish you'd had. You can learn your lessons from falling short. That's fine. But all progress is good progress.